yeah, I don't have like a staunch insufferable rant, you know, about it or something. Like if I was at a, a party or something, uh, like it's, it's, it's just a personal kind of preference. I think I recognized early on, I mean, for many years, I just didn't want to spend, it just didn't seem worth the money, the extra hundred dollars a month or whatever they cost. Um, when I was just living as cheaply as possible. And then, and then by the time it became a possibility, I just, you know, kind of recognized the benefits for myself of not having one. Um, and also, you know, th- these days I'm just home all day anyway. So, and, and the computer is never too far away. So when I do actually have the chance to step out into the world, I'm like, you know, so grateful. I just like sit on the, the train and just stare out the window um, cause I, I need to sort of like drink in the outside world whenever I can, whenever I can venture out of my studio. Well, I, I mean, one of the benefits that became obvious, uh, I think when I dabbled in like the world of Tumblr, maybe 10 years ago, um, when I was just trying to get my, my comics out there was, um, you know, recognizing that I'm a compulsive kind of person. I mean, I have OCD and I I can just sort of, you know, get into like mindless habits um, for better or worse. Uh, and, and, and I think if I, if I try to, you know, I, I see when other people can use those things in a healthy way and I kind of recognized that uh, I wouldn't be that type of person. So I, I couldn't do. I couldn't kid myself into thinking that. Oh, I'll set up Twitter and and I'll only use it to you know just get the most important stories of the day or or discover things that are important to me. I would like co- quickly devolve into something ugly, probably. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and and I think it's an important thing to recognize in yourself. You know, as I said, I'm kind of obligated to do it, but I I do recognize certain addictions or compulsions when it comes to, you know, checking Twitter or, or anything else, you know, and over the last couple of years, I've cut out liquor and coffee because I wasn't particularly abusing either, but I, I recognize something in me that kind of has the ability to potentially abuse those things. And if you can recognize that in yourself, it's a very useful tool. Yeah. I mean, I, I recognize that in in a lot of ways um i mean i i've had to sort of address compulsions in other ways like you know there was a process of getting helplessly devoted to or addicted to um nicotine and then and then many years of kind of shedding that and then i think kind of alcohol took its place maybe maybe in a similar way as you where it, it's never been a real problem, but it became a habit that I I started to really dislike and started to make me uncomfortable when I, when I knew I was kind of reaching for a beer as like a self soothing thing, or you kind of hit those those points where you're like, this probably isn't that good, but I need some kind of relief and I, I haven't even begun to address 
you know, drinking a pot of coffee a day. I'm like letting myself have that for now. Something you start to recognize in yourself if, you know, you have an addicted personality or you, or as I do come from a, a family line with a lot of people who have had addictions. This might not be the most healthy thing, but at a certain point, part of quitting something that you recognize is unhealthy is finding a way to um, to focus that energy elsewhere. Yeah. Just very peripherally when I've, you know, been close to people who have more issues with with addiction and, and maybe harder substances. I know that's uh that's kind of kind of a known thing that, you know, you might you might be in danger of replacing one compulsion for another and, and maybe the one that you replace is like many times more healthy, I guess, or maybe it could be even worse. That's generally been my, my approach. I mean, you know, for alcohol, as goofy or benign as it sounds, I, I started drinking a lot of seltzer, a lot of different kinds of seltzers. And, and uh-huh. for coffee, it was replacing it with tea. Yeah. Effectively finding a, a more healthy addiction to swap in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, like, something that comes to mind is when some, you like stories of people who like try to quit smoking or drinking and then they, they become addicted to jogging and jog until like their, their ankles are all messed up or, or they have huge blisters on their feet. Like, I think I might even be experiencing that right now. I, I, I think I'm dealing with some symptoms of long, long COVID kind of brain fog. And I've started exercising like every day, just in my house. Um, and uh, I, I can kind of, I, I feel some version of that, that switching to, to maybe something healthier, but I don't know. When did you get COVID? Oh, that was back in April now, I think. That's been with you for a long time. Yeah, it, it could be, it's becoming hard to disentangle what's long COVID and what's uh, kind of seasonal allergy stuff. I never, I never do very well in the summertime and August is always like my most depressed I have like reverse um, seasonal SAD disorder. Yeah. Or that's just what I call it. Cause when people say that they refer to the winter months, but you have DAS. Mind. What is that? Uh, it's just the reverse of SAD. Oh, okay. Sure. That I can call it that. Yeah. I had it in uh, early July, late June. And for me, it was sort of, it was hard to disentangle what was COVID related and what was just kind of, um, fogginess and depression from being in a pandemic for two and a half years. Right. Yeah. That's been tricky for me too. Cause, cause it was also when the book, when acting class was wrapping up or I guess, I think we had already, we were just sending it to press and now I've, I think there's like a certain fog, uh, or just just kind of crashing that happens after that whole process is over with. So so I think those three things have just made it like this this whole summer has just been kind of a wash creatively and and just emotionally it's just been about like maintaining I guess and just waiting to, you know, wake up and see if the next day is a little better. I know that sounds incredibly grim but, you know, 
you just, you go through those phases where, you know, things aren't really clicking very well. I don't want to make light of what is a very serious problem, but, you know, I, I have heard artists describe novelists or people working on something really long form, like a graphic novel or, or an album, as this almost a sense of sort of postpartum depression of being so emotionally involved and invested in something for so long, and then just waking up one morning and it's not there for you to pour yourself into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, across these three books, uh, you know, over the last 10 years of, of working, uh, I think I think I have a pretty extreme case of that. Like, if it's a spectrum of, you know, some people can kind of roll with it, and some people, you know, having the book out is hugely cathartic and and rewarding. And unfortunately, I'm just discovering that I don't, that's not my experience. And it's usually kind of tempered by having something new to work on. But in this case, it's, it's, it hasn't been a, as smooth a transition as I, as I hope and pray, you know, each that each book will sort of lead naturally into the next one. For some reason, I've hit a bit of a wall creatively. And again, I could go in circles, be like, well, I did have COVID and, I might be experiencing something very real that we just don't know that much about yet. It's hard to tell. Is there a sense in which this was a larger emotional sink for you than previous books? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the main difference is I'm a full-time cartoonist uh, during this book. That's the first time that's been the case. It's the curse of the success of Sabrina. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's an appropriate way to put it. That's that's kind of the downside of getting attention. That even when that, when all that came and went, and I just kind of continued working on acting class, I felt like I had been relatively kind of unscathed by it. That it wasn't, you know, I was still working in the same way at the same desk. You know, my circumstances hadn't changed, and I didn't, I didn't feel that different. But now I'm realizing that. It's it's a much different set of circumstances to put out a book when when you know that's your your livelihood. Because um, when Sabrina came out four years ago, I was working at a job, uh, and it was a huge relief. I'm realizing to to have all that kind of noise happen around around Sabrina being released and and to be able to go to a job. have a healthier perspective on the whole thing and, and something that was kind of grounding and also just being more socialized, you know, being amongst friends and coworkers and being part of a, uh, a team as corny as that sounds. I know you were a, a janitor for a while. Is, is that what you were doing when Sabrina came out? Uh, when Sabrina came out, I was working at a busy beaver button company in Chicago and I was just uh, doing various kind of, I guess, assembly jobs for, that's the best way to describe it, just just packaging and pressing buttons and pinning buttons and uh, inventory, various things like that. My understanding is you had a, a few different janitorial jobs prior to that. The way mm-hmm. that experience kind of seeped its way into this book. Yeah, I guess... I guess it was just a matter of kind of looking back and 
Well, yeah, thinking about, you know, what pool of, like, culturally, like, what kind of pool of of people would I kind of pull from to make up a cast of characters for this? And I found myself kind of circling back. Nobody is really based on anyone in particular, but there's a certain type of kind of background, I think, that I was pulling from, from various uh, janitor jobs and, and the people that I met along the way. It was certainly, you know, when you're working the night shift at Whole Foods or working at, you know, the Field Museum as a janitor, there's a sense of, you know, the people that were, are working those jobs, you know, are, are trying to just maintain, you know, they're existing. Not to say that, you know, they don't have rich, fulfilling lives and, and children and a life outside of work. But, you know, there's an ex- you have to kind of accept that, like, there's no pot of gold at the end of this road. Like, you just have to sort of make... Uh, I shouldn't speak too much about because it, it's like I, the whole concept of work is like very fraught and like it's you don't want to be like well just whistle while you work you know it's like people deserve more than what they get in our current you know climate and you know I worked with a lot of people who were literally working themselves to death so it's a tricky subject. This isn't something that you know had even occurred to me before, but I think especially a job like janitorial work, there's a sense in which for the you know, the people shopping at Whole Foods or in this case at the school, that you're almost this kind of this background character in other people's lives. Yeah, I mean for myself that that was the appeal of of those types of jobs. Um I I had always sort of gravitated towards that. Um back to, you know, my my first job when I was a teenager uh like a, in high school at nights I would I would work at this gym and just sort of put away weights and clean clean the seats of the machines and you know all those various tasks and there was like an immediate recog- like school was very difficult in a lot of ways just just socially and and just performing in school like i was kind of crumbling under the the pressure of that and i kind of remember that job more i certainly remember that job more fondly than i do you know being in high school it fits fits my personality i mean it's not hard to imagine you know to psychoanalyze the situation and, and think, okay, this like having degrees of depression and anxiety and OCD. That's like the kind of job that it, it, it kind of makes sense that I gravitated towards that type of work. I've worked plenty of retail jobs and plenty of food service jobs and I, and I've mopped plenty of floors in, in that time, but having not had that job specifically, I can't really speak to the depression part, I, I don't know whether it would necessarily be particularly healthy or helpful there, but certainly it's a place to channel some of those compulsions that we were talking about. 
Yeah, I I found I recognized that at certain jobs I would be working um and like I'm thinking of my friend Pat at Whole Foods and we would a lot of nights we would end up closing together working the evening shift shift and uh he had a lot of trouble just it could be maddening for a different type of person cuz you you'd go and and clean a bathroom and you know, you'd go run, run around and do your other tasks, and two hours later, you would go back and clean the same bathroom that had just been like trashed, and you would do that like four times in one shift. And somehow, I didn't. I never minded doing that. I don't like. I think that is very much like an OCD thing. Like I could go back and reset the bathroom and feel good that it was that it was tidy. And then it was just this kind of hamster wheel of like, you go back and you clean it again and you clean it again. And you know, it's, it's never ending. And I, I, there's a certain level of like massive, like degradation too, that that's, that's a whole other story. I think I'm realizing it's sort of Sisyphean in a way. Yeah. What I think is very interesting in acting class specifically as it pertains to the work of the janitor there was the appreciation that the class instructor has about janitorial work almost as an art form in and of itself. Yeah. I wasn't, I I think, I think that scene, it was, it was kind of like me looking back at kind of looking back at the, at the past and, and kind of remembering what that felt like, because you know there there were time there were certainly moments of discomfort at those you know those day jobs and and working janitor jobs could be taxing and you know you'd be in these kind of awkward situations interacting with the public and I I had to sort of I developed like a coping mechanism I think for that in a way where. Um, I would almost feel this kind of force field around myself. Almost like, I don't like going emotionally numb or something, but then you could kind of, there was like a certain power in, in realizing that you could sort of turn that on and off. Like I imagine it's a skill you develop, you know, if you have to work retail or, or in food service or something where, you know, you're going to come up against these people who are going to just be awful to you. And you never know, you know, when that's going to strike and you have to kind of like steal yourself a little bit. I think that scene that you're, you're mentioning in, in acting class was like that janitor had, had found some level of, of grace or something, or this is a very unfortunate thing about our society is the way not only we treat service workers, but the way we kind of view them as people doing these incredibly necessary jobs. And, and certainly that's something that, that we saw during the pandemic, just how much we rely on those people, but also viewing them almost as being a lesser station, or, or perhaps if you're a really terrible person, kind of less than human in a sense. And, and it sounds like one of the things that you were kind of grappling with was how to endure some of that disrespect without internalizing it. It actually... Yeah, I mean, I I'm like not a combative person at all. I'm like very passive. So 
and also just, you know, have like pretty crippling low self-esteem in general. So like that was never, you know, I didn't feel like when you would have those kind of unpleasant interactions or when somebody would be mean to you, that wasn't the hardest thing to deal with. Um, It was mostly just like having to interact with the public at all. Like I would kind of rather like at those jobs, I certainly would take any chance I could to clean the most empty stairwell or unpopulated area of wherever I happen to be working. It's a weird product of that job that, you know, I I think just generally people are, are, you know, I are are also not going out of their way to interact with a a janitor in the way they would, you know, if you were working behind a counter, for example. Yeah. I mean, nobody would really like, I mean, for 99% of people, you'd just be completely unnoticed. I guess maybe one aspect of one phenomenon that was maybe the inspiration for that scene in acting class that you mentioned where, where all the, the class are, are watching the janitor just, just mop, mop the floor was, um, people would some, sometimes people would just like kind of involuntarily stare at you when you were doing your work. And that's what I mentioned, like where I had to sort of create like a force fielder on myself of not, not caring and not feeling nervous about their gaze or something. But it was it was like a weird, weird phenomenon. Like I don't know what they were. If I was cleaning up, you know, a broken broken bottle or something, if they're like, you know, checking my my technique or just just because it's something novel that's happening or something. I don't know. Do you feel you were ever able to kind of transcend it to a point where, as it is in this book, almost an art form? Yeah, it was it was a source of of self esteem for sure. You know, knowing that it was, you know, it's necessary, and it's good, honest work, but it's you know meaningless, and you know the only skill involved really is like being able to just like mentally. I mean, the physical toll, but then mostly just like I said, the the repetition of it and and not just kind of going crazy and and trying to find meaning in some other way um is there a way in which art can be a compulsion uh yeah i mean for me it's i think it's all compulsion at this point but like i i'm trying to be have restraint and be selective about how I want to be compulsive because it's storytelling. Like that's what I'm doing. It's not how many, like if I just keep making paintings or something or, or just keep drawing, like keep putting pen to paper. That's, that's where I'm kind of struggling this, this summer since finishing acting classes, like the the need and the compulsion is still there and it's very strong but i know that the story's not there yet i shouldn't just write compulsively and start drawing compulsively like there's the very self-critical side of my brain that is like no you have to sit with this discomfort for a while and kind of figure out what you're doing and and why you're doing it 
that's kind of the uncomfortable sort of push pull that's that's been going on uh, since I finished the last book. How long did this book take you beginning to end? Uh, four years. So you really sort of started working on it. I guess the minute Sabrina came out, it sounds like. Yeah. Obviously, if you're going to invest that much of your life into something, then you need to make sure that it's, I mean, that it's worth investing that much time in. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hard part is there would always be sort of a conveyor belt feeling of some, something will arise if I just kind of keep turning this, like a like I have a topic in mind for this next book, the same way I had a topic just in the most general sense. It was like, I'm going to write a book about an acting class. And before that with Sabrina, it was going to be, I'm going to write a book, you know, about kind of a online conspiracy theory. And I have that with this book, but it's not something is kind of snagged where where the ideas aren't generating the way they have been over the past ten years. And I think it might just be the subject uh, is like a little too unwieldy and broad, and it's it's probably not that interesting to talk about this without you know where I I can't actually go into the the specifics. Um, but just in general, that's kind of the the issue right now is that the ideas aren't just naturally kind of organically generating. And then that leads to, you know, pretty significant self-doubt about maybe, maybe this is another part, some other part saying like, you put your, you put your eggs in the wrong basket. This isn't the right subject. And, and then I'll kind of drive myself crazy going back and forth where no, maybe it just needs to be, work through and you know there's something there that i'm just not seeing not not having that much clarity about it from the outside i can certainly understand how sitting down one day and deciding that you're going to work on a book about a conspiracy theory it's not easy but it but i guess it's easy to imagine that really manifesting itself into a book but specifically what was it about the idea of an acting class that you felt like you could hang you know 270 pages on yeah i I think those things just kind of appeared there was like enough uncertainty about it i didn't quite see the whole thing laid out but there was enough that was intriguing about it that i i just felt like you know it was worth kind of sinking sinking everything into that subject and i i think those things at the beginning were uh the ensemble nature of it i liked the idea of just kind of moving freely between a larger kind of like the cast almost being too too large or something where you couldn't really like settle on one storyline and um there was there was something intriguing about the the dynamic of a classroom which it's been many years since I've been in that kind of situation but I there's like an inherent kind of tension in in the classroom at least most experiences I've had yeah, something about kind of adult education or like a quarter to midlife crisis that people might find themselves in where there's like a certain restlessness where you find yourself at a at a community center or at a at a church group or something just just trying to or you know, a self-help group or a, or an um 
you know, an addiction support group or something like that, where, you know, you just, you just realize you need to, you need to get out and be amongst other people and all those things. Like I was kind of circling around all those things at the start. And that was kind of the most basic start of the whole thing, I guess. A question that I've seen a, a few people put to you about this book, and understandably so, I think it's a it's a it's a good question, and I, I get why they asked it. Is whether you know you you had taken an acting class in, in preparation for this, and, and and you didn't, and I'm curious if there's almost value in not having had that experience and still attempting to interpret it i i would i i hoped that that was the case when i started because i i realized pretty quickly there was just no way i was i was going to take an acting class or even i i can't imagine a situation where someone would allow me to just you know sit and gawk and and take notes at an acting class so the best i could do was just kind of you know read a few books look up some some videos online and and do some reading and and then just kind of just kind of intuitively work my way through the subject and yeah i realized once i started writing and when the john the the teacher the character john starts kind of laying out his class um that i could kind of get away with with doing something different that you know a, an actor you know wouldn't pick up the book and feel like they needed to scrutinize it or something or that it, if it didn't feel authentic you know that that would be irritating or something that it's it's kind of its own thing that that doesn't really bear it, it like it didn't intentionally bear any resemblance to an acting class i mostly made up a lot of the the exercises and things I don't think that this book could function, or at least certainly wouldn't function in the way that it does if it was an orthodox acting class. Yeah, I mean, when I was putting parameters on myself, when you asked about, you know, when it was in the very early stages of, you know, just thinking about an, an idea and, and not even necessarily writing anything down, it it became clear pretty quickly that as much as possible, I would avoid, like I pretty much entirely avoid the realm of being an actual working actor and, you know, knew that I wasn't really interested in, you know, having, having characters who aspired to be on the stage or that, you know, their class wasn't leading towards, you know, actually doing something functional or making art or, you know, putting on a performance or something. Um, those, those avenues of where the story could have gone just like never opened even a little bit for some reason. I, it just didn't like, didn't, didn't seem to fit. It's a quiet thing, but it's a thing that I do really like about the book because it, it is something that I haven't heard discussed a lot is how many of these adult education or continued education or, you know, extracurricular, I guess, I guess extracurricular isn't the right word if you're not actually going to school, but, you know, after, after work classes are for a lot of people less about 
those grander ambitions and more about socializing with other people or, you know, perhaps learning some kind of transferable skill versus wanting to pursue this thing professionally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as as we're speaking, I haven't thought about this in a long time, but the first uh, art classes that I took outside of high school were when I was going to community college just down the road uh, to try to, you know, kind of transition into adulthood. And it was an interesting place where we took an oil painting class, me and my 19 year old friends and, and mixed within the class were like retirees who were just taking it, you know, they kind of, I guess the school is just set up in a way where you, you know, they would put like, you know, students who were actually pursuing associate degrees right alongside people who were taking these classes, um, just as continuing education or just as like, a you know, a fun exercise. And it was really nice to see, like, I'm glad I had that experience before, you know, jumping into art school. There was like, you know, a guy like of this retired welder who painted, uh, just like painted mountains and stuff. And it was, uh, nice to see that. Yeah. There's, there's obviously not any, it's just like a pure pastime or, you know, the only thing you're chasing is maybe the, the feeling of, you know, satisfaction that comes with making something or, or just getting out of the house. It becomes increasingly more difficult to make friends as an adult when you don't have school or these kind of predetermined events that you go to. Yeah. That that's become really striking. Um, I, I think I'm incredibly fortunate that I have, you know, I, I lead a pretty isolated life, but like at the same time, I'm I'm meeting a lot more people than and making new friends each year than I imagine. A lot of people I grew up with are friends of mine. That's just been interesting to to observe how quickly those, you know, those things kind of dry up and and your world gets kind of just gets kind of small and you you maybe find yourself in your subdivision with like your dog and your your kid and your coworkers and if if i didn't have comics or or art making i would have you know i don't i don't have the ability to to step out of my comfort zone and and go make friends somewhere or I mean, taking a, taking a class at this point, you know, to learn a skill is enormously appealing and I, and yet I can't, you know, I can't bring myself to actually go and, and find a place and sign up and, and get out of the house and do it. You use the word gawking as far as kind of, I guess, like sitting there and, and observing class. And, and I think this also relates to the, 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 the role that the, the janitor plays specifically in the story. And it's also an interesting contrast to, you know, your own kind of, to me, the complete antithesis of that is sitting naked for long stretches of time in front of a group mm-hmm. of strangers. It ties into the book in, in a really interesting way. I mean, you know, there's a sense in which that is kind of being a new art model is kind of the ultimate spectacle. Yeah, I, I was doing that. I, I was going out with a few cartoonist friends and and going to figure drawing before the pandemic hit um and that was 
That was really helpful, I think, in a lot of ways. I think this subject, the subject of an acting class, appealed for me. Uh, appealed for me was appealing because I can't really think of an art form that is more the opposite of what I do as a cartoonist. Um, there are cartoonists who are more performative. You know, there are places you can go to sort of perform your comics and be, you know, something of a of a performer or a public figure. But you know what I do is just, is just alone at home. It's like the least collaborative kind of, kind of thing possible. It's human nature to be in a setting like that, you know, to, to be in a figure drawing class and, and to, to see somebody posing and wonder what's going through their head and wonder what in their life led them to do that and what their life is like when the class is over. Yeah. I mean, that's a way more extreme version of, you know, being stared at as a janitor when I was, you know, mopping the floors. Um, and, and I do like, I, I mean, I think the, the environment is like, it feels, at least from my perspective, feels like very neutral. Like, I think the only way that you can actually stand there and, and draw the model is to like, let them to not, you know, they probably don't want you thinking about that stuff. So like they would rather just like objectify is like a terrible word in a lot of ways, but they'd want, they want you to just, you're just measuring the length from, you know, their forearm to their, uh, to their elbow and trying to get the, the shade of their hair, right. Or, you know, sure. Or other parts of their anatomy. But I guess now looking back, like, yeah, it is an interesting sort of um, uh, situation. Yeah, I just spoke to Kathleen Rooney, who's a, a writer here in Chicago, and apparently she she did that work for at least a little while um, and wrote a book about it that I'm, I'm really curious to read. Uh, just like a, a memoir about about her experiences as a figure model. It sounded, sounded interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it now. It's live nude girl is the title. Julia with DNQ sent me, uh, I don't, I don't know if they were behind it, but there's a really great short, like 10 or 11 minute video where you and your wife are interviewed and you kind of, and you walk through a lot of the processes that went into making this book. There's almost a few extra steps that, that I haven't seen many cartoonists, do either literally or figuratively the last few months i guess off and on i've been making all of these heads as um i guess figure studies for a future project almost like casting with these heads starting to take shape when i when i look at these these figures the process of making heads of like of literally like sculpting heads is really is an interesting one. How did you settle on that? That was um that's just been a recent development. I guess I, I like I feel like the last when I said the last 4 or 5 months have just been kind of a like a lot of wasted time. I mean, I have made like 30 or so of these these clay heads that are they're, they're pretty pretty slow to make um because it's 
you know, I'm just I'm just learning as I go. I don't actually know what I'm doing. So I've just been kind of experimenting with it, but they're just meant to be purely functional. I mean, I guess I want them to kind of look nice or interesting in some way, but you know, they'll only serve as figure reference for the next project. Um, that was the idea, I guess, was that I don't quite know where the story's going, but if I just start making these figures, um, they'll be the basis of, you know, some kind of cast of characters. Or once I start writing, I'll be able to look at this line of, of, of clay heads and, and sort of make connections in that way. Um, and, and I guess that's been fun. Uh, it's, it's quite different from making comics, especially the way I draw in such a flat kind of way. It was it was humbling to sit there with the first lump of clay and realize I like I have no idea how the face actually works in three dimensions and I'm still still kind of you know figuring it out. Yeah, it's that that classic thing. I mean, the I think the best sort of pop cultural example of that is The Simpsons, where if they're not at three quarters, they look really weird, and it's just a result of I think a lot of artists especially artists who, who draw in a minimal way um, aren't, aren't used to interacting with their own characters in three dimensions. Yeah. I mean, I, I realized especially working on acting class that I would try to approach each composition or each panel as, you know, kind of an individual thing that, you know, flows in the story, but like, you know, you just find like, you know, you have certain certain angles that, that just seem to work, and I could probably, you know, make create a few buckets of, you know, more or less kind of uh, angles of, of faces that I that I kind of rely on. You know, it's yeah, it's it's interesting now that I have the three dimensional heads, and I can kind of. Hopefully, ideally, you know, when I'm when I'm deep into a comic, I'll have that that figure there, and I'll just be kind of turning it, and and maybe getting maybe it'll just make the comic come out in a slightly different way. That's that's what I'm hoping, at least. The heads and the glass paintings that you did were they a part of putting together this book? Uh, no, not acting class. Uh, the the glass paintings were. The heads that you referenced in the video I've just made over the past uh, couple months. Um, after I, it was like a kind of something to decompress after finishing uh, acting class. Your style has—I don't know if "evolved" is the right word—but th- that you've taken a di- different approach than you did with Sabrina, where it is a bit more detailed. But I, I find it really striking that there's a couple who look very similar to one another. Was that by design? No, not not really. I I mean, I wrote the book more or less chronologically. So that first scene that they're introduced in is the first thing I drew. Um, And I I think I was still figuring out. I'm just very stunted. I'm realizing as far as introducing variation in my comics or, or, you know, they're not very dynamic, I guess, on the page. And I just have to kind of 
I'm always kind of fighting against that, but then I don't know if that's just where I feel comfortable and I should just accept that, like, to use kind of musical analogies, like a lot of the music I like, not all of it, but I have like a penchant for for odd or kind of off or crude crude things like maybe people who don't have conventionally nice nice singing voices or something i shouldn't worry about that so much i'm getting kind of off topic but um yeah as far as those characters happening to look very similar was more like a limitation of my own my own style my own ability to sort of make you know distinct faces Yeah, maybe even the the impetus for making the heads, the clay heads, is to um, have some more distinction in some way. I would argue that there is a sense, and 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 you know, maybe you you can't appreciate this, but but I certainly do as as a reader, having read your three books there, and and you again in in that video, um, which I'm referencing a lot, so people should probably watch. It's oh, it's, it's quite good. You, you discuss the Chicago specifically, but the the Midwestern setting of your work broadly as you know these sort of like these flat drab colors i've never lived outside of cook county so um it's just an ingrained landscape i don't find a lot of it unattractive but the landscapes like a lot of it looks bad or just kind of bland or ugly it makes it kind of easier to find the things that jump out to me at least there's a sense in which i think the characters really fit into that and that's 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 a good setting for them because of those limitations i think i did realize at a certain point that there was kind of a pairing of my storytelling sensibility and my worldview and the landscape maybe as far as i see it you know that i grew up in even though i'm i'm very it's it's a bias like i i'm probably selecting and, and choosing to kind of frame things in a certain way, you know, to make things like it's skewed by my, my worldview. So I, I hope there's kind of a, like a, a synthesis of, of those things. Uh, but then, yeah, I, the struggle or the self-doubt kicks in when I start to wonder, you know, as far as the art I like, you know, it's there, there's a wide variation and I really appreciate the people who, who do what I can't do. And, and I kind of, I think I start each new book project thinking that I'll, you know, be able to kind of, kind of create some new way of working or or have some kind of transformation and I, I think I've realized at this point I have to like, you know I've kind of given up any illusion that I'm gonna be one of those kind of shapeshifter artists where it's like, you know, each each new project is like this, you know, this completely different brain. It's it's I'm more creating kind of a there there's a bit more of a consistency or or a body of work that is is uh is kind of building in a different way. You mentioned earlier that it's written in almost a, 
not even almost, but it, it, it's effectively written in, in a very chronological way. And I'm, I'm curious, especially with a book like this, how, how you decided to end it. Um, cause I, I do think in, in an interesting way without, without giving too much of the ending away, it does almost dovetail into Sabrina, into this sort of more conspiratorial mindset or this at least at very least this idea that um what we're experiencing in this book is part of something potentially much larger yeah i think i think i recognize that there were certain thematic crossovers uh with my first two books um without making them too like elliptical i guess or or kind of you know bringing back specific characters or places or something but there's like you know kind of retreading something but maybe from a slightly a slightly different angle and and i kind of liked that that resolution in that way um which was kind of always the at a certain point where where the book ends became that was pretty clear after after a certain point you know the way these four free classes would sort of play out and 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 where this this would end it was just a matter of sort of getting there 